0: Hello, and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season four, The Chats Room. My name is Alan, and I'm joined by a man who's not afraid to say that he has Bieber fever. It's Magellan. Uh,
1: Baby, baby, (laughs) baby. I hope you keep that silence in there, because that's how long it took me to come up with the Justin Bieber song.
0: Oh, yeah, and you picked one that's older than the time the episode takes place. (laughs)
1: Which did he do that Despacito song? No, he didn't. That's, he's not Louis Fonzie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I God. thought he was on it or something. John, you're so old. What's you're, the one that, that Justin Grandpa. Bieber did? Justin Bieber just did one that's like the that's like a Despacito kind of thing.
0: You're so old. <laughs> do you want me to give you your walker and like your your mashed potatoes later?
1: Uh, listen, I know who Cardi B is, and that's about as much as I need to be current on.
0: All right. What's well, name me one of her albums?
1: Well, I can't. I don't want to be uncouth. It's the news. It's the chat room. You're allowed to be uncouth. <sighs> Gangster, I just want to hear you say the words. Say the words. Gangster bitch music volumes one and two. Say it
0: with an A, not an R.
1: Gangsta. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I apologize.
0: <laughs> volumes one and two. Correct. This is the chat room, folks. How you doing?
1: Uh well, I'm okay.
0: Here on the chats room, Majan and I are okay, and we talk about the newsroom. It's an okay show by Aaron Sorkin. This week we watched season one, episode five, Amen, and episode six, Bullies. First up, we're going to be discussing Amen, which was written, as always, by Aaron Sorkin. Directed by Daniel Menayan, it aired July 22nd, 2012, and it takes place between February 10th
1: and the 14th of 2011. What happened in this episode of the newsroom? While covering the forced ejection of Egypt's president, The team learns of a protest in Wisconsin that is condemning the governor's plan to balance the budget at the detriment of teachers and other public sector union employees, leading everyone to try to cover both stories simultaneously. Will becomes convinced of a conspiracy by the Koch brothers to rig the system in their favor by fighting for Citizens United and then abolishing the unions. Elliot is assaulted while covering Egypt abroad and is sent home. So Neil asks one of his online friends, codenamed Amen, to be their journalist in Egypt while the internet is still down. Amen has to reveal his identity to be trusted, and Neil worries about how this coverage might endanger his friend. Finally, every man hits something or gets hit this episode. Will almost pays Nina off for writing more slander about him, and instead pays to cover the cost of freeing Khalid, a.k.a. Amen, from military jail. Uh, everyone pays Will back to mimic his favorite scene from Rudy. It is Sacron.
0: That's the episode. John, what did you
1: think of Amen? What did I think of it? Well, this episode gave me whiplash. <laughs>
0: I love J. Jonah Jameson. J.K. Simmons. We can never remember his name. It's J.K. Simmons. He played that role like 12 years ago. (laughs) Not
1: not everything was 12 years ago.
0: (laughs) I mean, vaguely. Name me something that wasn't 12 years ago. Exactly. You can't.
1: The the 2016 Olympics?
0: Eventually, that'll be 12 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Why does this episode give you a
1: flash, Magellan? Because it's trying to make me care both about Egypt and Valentine's Day.
0: <laughs> it's the newsroom. Where they make you care about, they, they expect you to care about like incredibly important um, like shifts in the political spectrum of a country and its ruling class and also uh, a holiday where people don't get to have sex unless they're dating. It's just
1: high octane sitcom nonsense this time around. And I, I was not, not a huge fan.
0: These two plots do not gel in the same episode. It makes so little sense. I
1: loved, I really liked the Egypt stuff. I thought that was cool. I think both of these episodes, five and six, present genuine ethical conundrums vis-a-vis presenting the news. Yeah. Both of these episodes were actually about news stories, and it wasn't about like, this is us doing it right. It was about, this is us trying to do it right, but then a problem, an unforeseen issue comes up that we have to think about and worry about. That is what the show should be doing. And but, then this ep- this first episode also just had some icky, boring love triangle stuff thrown in there.
0: It's not just that. You mentioned the sitcom earlier. It's almost like a f- like physical situational comedy at points, especially at the beginning where we get, and I put this in the summary for a reason, multiple recurring scenes of dudes hitting things like a cartoon The episode, I believe, begins with Jim and Maggie trying to get some video moved across the office really quickly, and they're both freaking out, and how do we download this? It's 2010, and we don't know how to download video packages quickly. Premiere exports so slowly, which it does, and Jim runs out the door with a USB stick and then runs into a glass door like a Windex
1: commercial. Idiot. Whatever. Whatever. Somehow that makes him bleed from the head.
0: Like he has a gash.
1: Yeah, which doesn't make any sense.
0: Realistically, he would just have a bruise, yeah. Um, And then at some point, early on in this episode, Neil just, like, vomits out his backstory to everybody because they're talking about Egypt, and he talks about how, uh, you know, oh, I have this friend who's in Egypt, and he's covering all this stuff, and he's like, me, his dad was a mechanic because that's the only it's the the thing. Everyone needs a mechanic, and I, w- I lived in this place in this long, and it's like, this is now the, at least the second, if not third time on the show where side characters particularly non-white side characters just like get one scene where they get to talk and be
1: important and like yeah, have their and back tell screen. us everything we need to know about them
0: yeah and then it's like all right anyways back to the background for you bye like neil is technically important in this episode because he brings everybody amen who is key but like i don't <laughs> I feel like Neil is again just used as like an information dump not for himself and for like the 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 politics going on and like the culture going on in Egypt. Uh and the internet especially in the second episode. Oof. Yeah, right. And it's all it's all handled like you said dreadfully seriously.
1: Uh it's well, ju- I don't want to jump to the end of the episode, but too quickly, I guess. But the whole way that this is tied together is Will's conversation with Nina, the gossip columnist, where essentially he says, lay off my staff. These are the best people. We're real journalists, not like you guys. And then he he's, he starts to rattle off, like, I've got – just he just reminds us how bad the whole episode was because <laughs> he's like, I've got an executive producer who has to subtract on her hands. It's like, okay – I've got one guy who was beaten up in Egypt. That's legit. And then one guy, it's like his hand hurts because he punched his computer. <laughs> and <laughs> another guy hit a door. And the other Twice. guy hit hit a door on purpose. <laughs> Looking for a boss who we're was over there. We're doing the real news over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's not it's not clear. Some of this stuff, obviously, you should be taking seriously. Like, Elliot being in Egypt... And getting mugged and injured, that's legit. That We've got to take that seriously. But Don jumping at the door and, like, dislocating his shoulder or something? Yeah. Was I supposed to laugh at that? Was I supposed to think that, like, this is the news the way you're supposed to do it? <laughs>
0: you're supposed to throw yourselves at doors.
1: <laughs> I just, yeah.
0: That is a really good question, is how serious are we supposed to take all this, like, ridiculousness? And if it, if it, if we're supposed to take it seriously, then, like what purpose does all of that serve like what does jim hitting himself on a door on a glass door like tell us about how good the news group is it doesn't tell us anything in my uh, opinion
1: yeah i mean i guess it's just that that noir thing of the hero accumulates injuries throughout the story to show that things are getting tense or that time is passing
0: yeah like we're 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 in the trenches
1: almost but it doesn't uh, it doesn't really feel quite the same here because they're still in their, their protected ivory tower in the middle of Manhattan where they're not really gonna be injured by these things.
0: I mean, right, for the cast of this crew, one of the most like serious things that happens to them in this episode, again, excluding Elliot, because um he is just like a vehicle for them to introduce Amen here. Yeah. Um but like the most serious thing is like Charlie yells at a guy who's on a morning talk show host in his ear and like threatens his life like a like he's in a Clint Eastwood movie or something. Mm-hmm. Because after Nina publishes another gossip column on Will, uh, this morning uh, morning talk show, very much a good morning America, like Hoda and uh, Kathy Lee uh, Gifford are on there, except the Kathy Lee role is replaced by um, Patrick Fabian, an actor who I really like. Um, he is, people might recognize him from Better Call Saul uh, and a bunch of other stuff. He's very good at like playing a sleazeball or a shithole. Oh, no, oh, or like now an, you're
1: like a... now you're dating our podcast.
0: <laughs> my, I, I, really didn't mean to. That just shows how like ingrained the the news is in my my head. Mm-hmm. Uh he's just like a, a, a terrible guy. Yeah. Um, for better or for worse, and and so he's like, oh, it looks like Will's cheating on his girlfriend again. He's doing bad stuff, and then Charlie's like, I will eat you and feed you to my
1: dogs and destroy your life. That was pretty cool. I really liked. Charlie, like, put me in this fucking air. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Um, I get. Let's talk about the the plot that got the morning show talking because this is, I guess, this is one of the bigger side plots of the episode. Um, the The whole situation with Mac and her nice boyfriend Wade, who turns out to be not nice. Wade <laughs> is running for some kind of political office. And he's been on the show a few times. Mac didn't know. Will didn't know that he was running for office. Uh, And so now there's heat coming down on them that's saying, like, oh, her boyfriend has been on the show quite a bit. Maybe she's trying to boost his chances, which only in Aaron Sorkin's world of the newsroom does that have that much scrutiny.
0: (laughs) Man, it also concludes in probably the worst looking scene of this entire show. Yeah. Yeah. The, so, we're worried about Wade. We're like, "Oh, Wade is a liar. Is he bad? Is he terrible? What's going on?" And then Mackenzie asks him to go up to the the balcony of the of the building and confronts him on this balcony, which is like so so blue screened. Um, Baby,
1: what's up? I've been out on the balcony for an hour. It's snowing out here. I'm really it's, cold.
0: Why? Why'd you make me come up here? I did it on purpose. Why? Because why? you're a you're a piece of sh- you're a piece of garbage. But why? But and she's like just talks him down and like their breath is CG and the snow is CG and he's in front of a blue screen. It looks like the, what's that really bad bird movie birdemic. It looks like birdemic or like sharp. <laughs> it's so bad looking. And a lot of shows from this era, uh, have that problem where like whenever they try to do,
1: I think we're still in this era.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I say this era, yeah. I mean the one we're watching and the one. Uh, we're in. Okay. All right. Uh, where because of budget like they can do sets really well but when people have to go somewhere that's outside of the set you just see the budget strain from that yeah sure and i get it like filming at a different set is hard but like get a better skyline jpeg or something holy moly (laughs) it's rough and basically she says like get out of my life you stink i'm out of you're out of here and so Wade is bad and te- and Mac breaks up with Wade and all is good in the world. Except there's like six more subplots in this episode. Mhm.
1: <laughs> yes, there are. Let's let's just the ones that we don't want to talk about, can we just like just
0: Yeah, the Egypt one? Nah, no. oh, Yeah. <laughs> <Okay. laughs>
1: Peepus room. Um <laughs> Let's talk about Jim and Don and Maggie and Lisa. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about all, all the bad, bad things. things and all and the bad things. <laughs> yes. <dude. laughs> yes. Yes. I'm so happy. <laughs> Very well done. All right. So. <sighs>
0: There's no way that'll sound good over editing. <laughs> um. Basically, yeah, it's Valentine's Day, and Maggie, Maggie has a nice date planned with John, with Don. It's not John. Uh, and she's mad because Lisa is going to, like, try to third wheel and be awkward with them. And so she's like, get, get, get this girlfriend out of here. Uh, basically, begs Jim to go out with her and to have sex with her roommate so that she will be busy all night because... <laughs> this plot entirely centers around Lisa being obsessed with Valentine's Day and being yeah. the type of girl that's constantly disappointed by men, which that part's yeah. relatable.
1: Obsessed with Valentine's Day and has never had a good Valentine's Day and will forcibly ruin Maggie's Valentine's Day. So, uh, yeah. I feel like we've had more scenes of, of people talking about Lisa than Lisa talking. And so it's just sort of like, uh, it's my crazy friend—that's what felt very, very sitcommy about this.
0: They're—they're they're doing all these like hoops. They're jumping through all these hoops just to get Lisa to, pla- to placate Lisa, like she's a shark in the water. Like we, oh, we gotta—you gotta get her these chocolates. You gotta get her the sexy lingerie, and you have to flock her, and you have like to I've give her all. all nice-
1: I've already reserved your like restaurant and your whatever, and this and that. The hotel. It's nuts. It's so much. No it girl is like that. No woman is like oh, that. It Come it, on! It it's not consistent with Maggie's character because what that what isn't she conflicted about this Jim stuff? And wasn't she jealous of him being with her roommate? And now she's just unabashedly like, "Hey Jim, I really want to fuck Don in a hotel." So <laughs> I've concocted this elaborate scheme. Yeah to make sure that I get to fuck Don in a hotel.
0: And Don's like, "I'm going to fuck Maggie in a hotel."
1: <laughs> and the whole time Jim's like, "Wait, Don got a hotel for you and me?" <laughs> what? <laughs> That's, That's so, so weird. weird. <laughs> what, what, what? What? No, a but what it really situation.
0: What it really climaxes in is Lisa comes to the office, publicly berates Jim, and then Maggie defends jim's honor and is like no he's actually a good guy you need to like him he's a good guy because a we need maggie to defend jim because they like each other and b every time a guy is shooting on the show a woman has to spend the whole episode defending him why does this keep happening oh my god oh my god why does this keep happening why is that Mackenzie's entire character is that will needs to be protected why hmm. aaron aaron stop <laughs> come on bud uh, it's bad there's nothing else to say about it it's bad Right, it let's... doesn't actually occupy that much time in the episode, but it's super bad.
1: Yeah, we'll just leave it behind. The only other thing that Jim and Maggie do is they are investigating is that this episode where they're investigating a harassment claim against Will? That's or the something? second episode. That's the second one. Yeah. In oh, this episode they're like talking about... In this episode in they're it.
0: doing the teacher strike stuff. Right. Okay. Which I thought would be cool to talk to you about as a teacher, but they don't they don't bring it up that much.
1: No, not really. It's not really a teacher thing. It's more just about the idea of of it being a union thing. Um, And it's a way for them to rehash or think about Citizens United. Um, But they don't, I don't know, they don't really do it in that meaningful of a way. You
0: know what's funny? If this was an anime,
1: God, first of all, God, second of all.
0: I'm hooked. Tell me more. (laughs) <laughs> you've sold me on your premise and now please continue Um, if this was an anime them bringing up the Koch brothers and citizens united over and over again would end with like this episode with would end with like a shadowy uh, old two old men petting the same cat right. talking about like oh another notch in our belt ha <laughs> ha ha yeah and then, like at the end of the season, we finally meet one of the Koch brothers, and he like falls into a volcano. <laughs> That's what this show is turn is doing with the whole Koch brothers controversy is like building up to some sort of climax that I don't even remember if we get. It's it's, super re- dumb.
1: it's sort of it's just so convenient and not inspiring at all to blame all these big societal issues on like the Koch brothers. Obviously, they're doing a ton and they are at the helm of the sort of conservative takeover of local America, which is a huge problem uh, yeah. in our political society. But presenting every issue as stemming from them leads to an, a very easy cynicism of, like, oh, man, the Koch brothers run everything. What are what are we supposed to do? What's the average person supposed to do? They're just going to crush this and crush that. and advance the corporate agenda it's not really a call to action and it's also not really that nuanced of a point because it's it's just saying everything bad is because of the Koch brothers they're immortal they're invincible we're not going to be able to do anything about them uh that's the news that's how you do it right
0: blaming the problems with conservative america on a shadow government on like shadow investors and shadow brokers and all that stuff really like Relieves the tension on the average American,
1: right? It makes people feel like they're not culpable. In it's what's not going my on.
0: fault that the world yeah. is is like falling apart. Like it's the rich people; it's their fault. We should we should d- take them down.
1: Which hey, I'm all for tearing down the rich. Uh-huh. Um,
0: <laughs> sane.
1: Super super for it. Definitely try to push my students to uh, to have some anti capitalist tendencies in my class. I love it. I love it. Um, but at the same time. It's just it's just kind of it's just shallow and a little lazy to think that this is the right way of doing things, presenting things in, in this exact way.
0: Speaking of shallow and lazy. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh Sloan has to explain to Mac how the Glass Steagall Act works because uh Sloan <laughs> Okay, just couple couple of like actually shallow and dumb things. Neil punching a, t- uh, a computer monitor because Glenn Beck is being an asshole. Relatable, sure. Why did mm-hmm. how'd you break your hand? He's like he broke his hand in several places,
1: and it's like, <laughs>
0: Aaron Sorkin, do you know how wounds work?
1: Hands, listen, I'll tell you, hands are surprisingly um... they break easily. They break easily. There are a lot of small bones in there. <laughs>
0: Little tiny delicious. I ate the bones. <laughs> I ate the bones. <laughs> Just picturing that guy like eating his hand <laughs> and going, I ate the bones. <laughs> um. But so he does that. And then Mac uh, gets made fun of several times in this episode for being dumb and then is told to like go on air and talk about the economy. And she's like, but I don't
1: know about money. I don't know how one person like works. She's like going to a conference or something, I think is what it is. Yeah, it's the Paley Center. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so they do film it. Yeah, you're right. Right,
0: uh, And so she has Sloan tell her all about this stuff in a bar in these scenes where just the worst bullshit of like, oh, Will, Will doesn't like me anymore. And she's like, no, but Glass-Steagall was about this. And she's like, but Will.
1: <laughs> Sloan, Sloan, hold on. We're two women in a scene. We can't just talk about economics the whole time.
0: Please allow me to talk about the man, please. Can no, I just, Sloan, just quickly?
1: Oh, my phone's ringing. Got to talk about the man.
0: It's a text from the man. Oh, my God. And then they clearly are trying to make this joke about, like, how the two things are connected. Right. Because Sloan keeps asking her, like, how did it fall apart? Why did it fall apart? How did it fall apart? Referring to Glass-Steagall and the dissolution of the separation between corporate uh, investment and commercial banks. Oh. But uh, Mack keeps taking it to be about Will and her relationship and the whole situation with Elliot. And it's – or no, yeah, not with Elliot, with um, with Wade. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> It's worthless. That's all I, I'm here to say. Yeah. You know who's not worthless is Elliot. Elliot's alive. I'm so happy. My boy's safe. Liked,
1: I liked Elliot in this episode.
0: It's kind of weird the scene where his wife and him are in the middle of the room and they're like, they're like doing a stand up routine to everyone. Yeah. Cause they are, be- she is being like, thank you to everyone for all the nice things and, and emails and letters and for the strippers that look like Egyptian police, blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> and then that like, yeah. just... It leads to a really dumb, useless joke where a stripper walks in and goes, "I'm here to beat to, to fascist government," and then they're like, "Get out of here, go away, stripper." Yeah. <laughs> this isn't the show for
1: that. I know that's another that's another sitcom beat for sure.
0: There's, I think, there's a screenwriting word for that thing where you put a non like a non sequitur at the end of a scene to segue. Um, I think it's called a non sequitur, but it's just that. It's just like, hey, anyways like the equivalent of the cane dragging somebody off a stage. Right. The only thing I I wanted to mention about Elliot was I really liked the little touch that Elliot is so injured that he can't do the news, but they still want him on there to show that like our journalists aren't there getting beat up. And then yeah, I
1: I really liked that, that um, conundrum that came out between Charlie, Don and Elliot where Don so desperately wanted, like Don is kind of fame hungry. Um, in a way that's that's interesting and that they've showed a little bit and that I want to see shown more. Um, Yeah. Sorry. What were you going to say?
0: Oh, sorry. Just the fact that Charlie kisses Elliot behind the ear. That was great. Yeah. That was really cute.
1: I really liked that. That was nice.
0: Um, And then basically all this stuff wraps up with um, the scene in the bar where Will and Nina are preparing to basically close the deal and, Again, the one time we have a black guy be useful is that he tells Will that he used to work for TMI News and that everybody there accepts bribes, uh-huh. which is hilarious. This that just show keeps like lifting up gossip columns to be so important that they are put on the exact same pedestal as the news, as like the regular news media, which is intentional.
1: Uh-huh.
0: But but they're corrupt. They take bribes. <laughs> it's like. Ugh. Yeah. So so he's like, oh, I'll I guess I'll write her a check, and goes to the bar and prepares to write her a check, and she's like, Come on, Will. You and me, you know, we're journalists. And then he goes, oh. and there is something very I don't know why, but there's something very Aaron Sorkin about that moment where he looks and he goes, See, you you, you talk too much, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want first of all I want to say that to every character on the show always, mm-hmm. <laughs> is you just talk too much when you don't need to, but he puts the pen down and goes, Well, I'm not. You're not. And she's like, you, I'm a journalist, and he's like, mm, eh, You're also an asshole. Just you and your dumb crew of people, they don't know anything. And he's like, Don't call my crew dumb. This guy's good and this girl's good. And this guy almost died six times. Yeah. And you mentioned this scene earlier. And the thing I wanted to mention about it was that it feels like I mean, it's very clear that Will McAvoy is in a lot of ways an Aaron Sorkin stand in on the yeah, show. Right. Um, yes. And a sounding board. Uh, I feel like this scene is almost Aaron Sorkin like defending the quality of his characters. Because he's, like, promoting the fact that they're ridiculous cartoon people who do all this wacky stuff. Because at the end of the day, they get their jobs done. And there might be, like, something meta to him being like, no, they're not bad. Like, everyone talks about my, par- my characters being badly written. Like, no, they're actually really good. And I love them. And don't fuck with them.
1: Right. Yeah. It, it's sort of trying to engineer in us an affection towards these people who we you know i'm not saying i don't have affection towards them i have some um but it does it does feel very manufactured and it feels like i mean the thing that's trying to be accomplished here is look will is becoming a a cool guy he cares he cares which is yeah i don't know i like the i like that i'm not gonna tear that apart because i yeah I like the sentiment, uh, just the, the reality of it. It.
0: I just wish I liked the characters more, ultimately. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Or at all. Uh, it's weird,
0: though, because the characters I do like are the ones that never get any dialogue. Like, Tess finally gets some moments in the show. Um, One where Maggie's like, you can't have sex in a bathtub. And then Tess essentially, like, cartoonishly pops out from the side of the screen and is like, actually, you can have sex in a mm-hmm. bathtub. You just kind of mm-hmm. put your legs in it. And they're like, ah! Yeah, that's funny. And then the other scene where Lisa is freaking out and then Tess kind of diffuses the situation by being like, oh, our phone's swapped again. You go to the same nail, the nail salon I do? Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> Try Sabra hummus. It has zero grams of trans fat and, oh, my God, cholesterol. <laughs> uh-huh. There's a uh, – the episode wraps up with a really bad moment because um, every time they're in a group, uh, basically, Will references Rudy, the film, the uh, the – Uh, 80s film about Uh, a football player you know what's
1: up? i know that the term spirit animal is not uh the right term that we should be using for this concept anymore but whatever the opposite of that concept is (laughs) for me that is men talking about sports movies (laughs)
0: like they're the best things in the world
1: yeah that is like the exact opposite of what i want
0: weirdly or i feel like. like jim in these scenes where everyone's like how have you not seen rudy and he's like i was doing other things i was in a, i was a kid what do you want from
1: me yeah get over it guys
0: cuz every time yeah whenever people reference sports movies in this way that makes them feel like they define their lives i'm like i didn't watch any of these i don't know i don't know i know remember the titans is good cuz there's like a rate there's like racism stuff in there but like a lot of it's dumb and, and not everybody saw that stuff. And like, assuming this sort of cultural, um, uh, uh what, there's a word for like the thing that everybody has experienced. I guess, gestalt is like a close enough word. Sure. Um, but at least for men specifically that like, we've all seen that movie and like, yeah, Rudy, the scene with the Jersey. And I've, I had to look it up when I watched this the first time and I had to look it up again. Cause I won't, huh. I'm not, I haven't seen Rudy, mm-hmm. uh, but basically they talk about, um, the scene where everybody hands over their jerseys because Rudy doesn't get to play in the final game. And uh, basically after finding out that uh, Ahmed was captured by the Egyptian police um, and put in prison, he writes a check to pay him off to basically pay for his bail. And everybody goes in and gives him like their small money checks to pay uh, him back for being a nice guy. And it's like, obviously the Rudy thing is cute. But imagine going to the bank <laughs> with <laughs> <laughs>
1: with forty
0: five ten dollar checks. That was the only thing I could think of during that scene. Was like I because oh my god, my sister is a bank teller, and let me tell you, like holy shit, <laughs> that's funny.
1: <laughs> cashing one check is a pain
0: in the ass. Imagine cashing these like fifty crumpled up like different banks bespoke checks. Oh my checks. god. What a pain for Will, and what a pain for everybody at the bank that's just like, what the fuck? This guy just brought like
1: 35
0: checks with like $100 on each one. Like, what What, what does he want us oh to do with God. this? Whew. And yeah, it's the sentiment that counts, but like... Listen, I, how-
1: I liked it in the first 15 seconds of it where I got what they were doing, and then he stepped out into the center floor. And and, like, yeah, there's a line. And literally we haven't talked about the egypt plotline yet I, we'll talk about that in a second because it was the the good part of this episode yeah. but literally you know there's a young man in egypt who's risk who's given up his anonymity risking his life and limb to bring the truth to the american people uh and as soon as we he's like here's the stuff for the rest of the episode we don't see him again he's just talked about and the triumphant moment is for the white guy who had the money to do the thing the rich white man steps out and everybody's like yeah you did what the job nice you did the big part you're a really good guy and he's like no 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 please 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 thank you thank you please
0: and and that last shot plays like something out of a bad disney channel movie where like the camera is panning upwards as everyone's walking through the line meanwhile neil is in the front of the shot looking at a Skype call with Ahmed and being like, oh, man, it's my friend. And it's like you can't hear them talking because the audio is replaced by music. And it's like so cheesy. But it's like that guy almost died covering a war. And we're like, good job. This guy paid a bunch of money. Like, it's so bad. It's so nakedly what the show always is, which is like championing these people over the people that they're helping out. Yeah, They always do this. The show never gets better about this. It's so frustrating.
1: I I think it's perfectly valid to show Will making the choice of, I'm not going to pay off the Gossip Colonist. I'm going to pay to get this guy free. That's cool. That's a good move for his character to make because it says a lot about where he's come from and what he's valuing.
0: Yeah, he can be selfless sometimes.
1: Yes, but then making everybody celebrate him totally robs him of that selflessness. And it does he not gets to have his moment. Yeah, then it doesn't feel like a step forward for his character. It just feels like a part of his performance, I guess.
0: Speaking of Egypt, this is actually a really big thing that happens in this episode. At the beginning of the episode, we are in February of 2011 uh, and February 10th specifically. <laughs> And mm-hmm. the Arab Spring is happening, and it just fin- basically we're we're in the heat of it. Yeah, there's no internet in Egypt. Hosni Mubarak has been t- has been deposed um, by the people in a democratic coup, um, and voted out by a person that I think someone in this episode describes as like his cut, like his like political cousin, essentially, like someone yeah, who's not that much good. better. But the point is, it's the thought of the matter. It's the fact that. Yo, Egypt didn't have a democracy forever, but people wanted it. And finally, they, like, rose up and took down the person that was hurting – was ruining their lives for so long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for us, that is something that's really inspirational. And I remember at the time a lot – like, I do remember actually hearing about this at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, partly because my family is from the Middle East, and, like, this, effect, the Arab Spring affected the entire Middle East. But, like, the idea that, like, maybe in America we could someday – have the the wherewithal to like go we don't need. we can use things like social media and the news and uh, the way that we publish our information online to help us showcase and broadcast to the world like hey we are there's a revolution happening here the revolution will in fact be televised Mm -hmm. that's something really inspiring about that like it's not just going to happen and then be gone it's going to happen and we're going to have record of it and that's why amen is so important is he is that for this channel for for acn and it's really inspiring. Like, I, I, those scenes of, like, all the people chanting, we are Egypt, we are free Egyptians, uh, really got to me and was very yeah. emotional. Um, just because of, like, how much I remembered about, about what was going on at the time. But, like, uh-huh. I don't know, seeing Elliot is just, like, in his apartment, just, like, hanging out, like, hey, anyways, so some stuff's going on. Hey, there's gunshots. And I really, I was so glad they didn't, like, kill Elliot or something in that scene. Yeah, right. Because then that immediately brings up the question of, like, are the rebels bad? Like, who who killed him? Like, did, did rebellion, like, lead to somebody dying? Does that make it a bad thing? Uh-huh. But instead, no, he just um, gets beat up by some, he does get beat up by some protesters. And uh, the implication is, like, well, he had to come back. So we got to find somebody on the inside because they don't have regular internet. So we have to use someone who has, like, backup, um, like, third tier uh, peer-to-peer network VPNs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, of course, they're like Internet boy, Brown boy. <laughs> Those are the two things that you are, new. They,
1: they literally say you live on the internet. Like you, you should know how to do this.
0: And he again, he doesn't deny it. Yep. He's just like, yeah, I, I do live on the internet, and I do know a guy that's there. He's my buddy.
1: Yeah, that wasn't that was not the best way to get there. I will say, I really, really appreciated the thinking through this ethical quandary of obviously they can't send one of their white American reporters to figure out what's going on because they're not going to be accepted into the situation. It's going to be dangerous for them. And so if you need somebody who lives there, who is a native of the area, how do you navigate if you can trust them? How do you navigate how to make sure they're protected without taking on too much liability? Those are some valid questions that are, I really appreciated the tension that went into examining them and to placing them at the center of the episode's conflict.
0: Right. It isn't just about them. And, and they treat uh Amen with a lot of respect when they're on the cause with him. Uh, and all those scenes are handled with a lot of really good weight of like we need to use your name. You're, you're a valid source. What kind of camera do you have? And he's like, and I also like that because he's a young person, he doesn't have, he's not like a cartoon Egyptian. Yeah. He also even this is just a minor touch, but like they chose to cast a like relatively light skinned Egyptian actor, which is appropriate because uh, in oh. Egypt, like there are like not every like the vast majority of people in Egypt are like light brown skinned and not dark, dark brown uh-huh. Um, But that's beyond the point. Basically, it's cool that they got a guy who's actually a professional and like is a young person who speaks good English and has the technology to do this the way it needs to be done to be done. And they don't yeah, treat him a, like a young rookie. They treat him like a, a journalist.
1: Yeah, they treat him with respect. He's a character that delivers on what he promises. Um, it, it's nice. Yeah, it's he nice doesn't
0: like, he turn or, or like turn out to be a rebel or like turn out to be a secret spy or anything like that. Yeah, and he doesn't get killed. So like, it's actually handled pretty well. And that's why I was like, we were like, yeah, this is the one good plot in this not good episode.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much uh, all I got.
0: Yeah, same. I mean, I don't really have any other interesting notes here, unless you do.
1: Um, I like the line where, I don't remember the exact context, but Will McAvoy says, Jesus, there are 800,000 websites? <laughs> Cause it was like his story was picked up or posted on that many websites or something.
0: It's All right, let's list them. Google, uh, Neopets. CartoonNetwork.com, Google Geo Cities,
1: Google One Maps, Google, Google Maps,
0: Google Video.
1: Yep, Google YouTube.
0: <laughs> Google.com/slash/YouTube. Hold on. Do you think? <laughs> of course, of course. Dude, do you super think?
1: Of course, dude.
0: No, it's a 404 error. Take that. What? what? Get fucked, Google. I'm gonna buy Google.com/slash/YouTube right now.
1: that's really gonna mess with those
0: guys (laughs) somebody at google right now is like shit the chats
1: boys are at it again uh sorry
0: yeah google.com slash youtube does not redirect to youtube it should foolish but john um do you want to talk about some stuff that happened around this time in history
1: yeah let's do it according to the wikipedia page for current events on February 10th, 2011. Got a couple here to talk about. First of all, sports news Ray Allen, <gasps> ba- basketball man. Yep, Celtic. Oh, hey, that's where it's that's where, that's where, that's our region.
0: Yeah, I have his jersey. No. The you only reason I have his, his jersey is
1: you have his jersey?
0: Because it says, yeah, I bought it from him. No, I, bought, I have a jersey that says his name on it because it says Allen on Alan, the back, and that's uh, hilarious.
1: That's I do though. Yeah. I wish Ferdinand Magellan had played for the Celtics. <laughs> <coughs>
0: I think he played for the Jazz. <laughs> yeah.
1: You like Jazz? Uh, I don't know what that's from, but you always say that. It's right? from B Movie. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my
0: you always favorite. say that. I'm so <laughs> annoying. I quote B Movie. I quote B Movie to my friends all the time. I'm the worst. What's don't the, the deal with me? <laughs> What's the deal with my
1: sense of self? Huh. Ray Allen, uh, hey, surpassed Reggie Miller for the all-time NBA record for three-point field goals made. That's not what they're called, field goals? <laughs> no, no. I don't know that I can trust you, uh not YouTube, Wikipedia. Google.com slash YouTube. Google.com slash Wikipedia. Also on here, hey, did you know that the British House of Commons voted against prisoners receiving the right to vote? Hmm. Wait, Pretty wha- decisively. Why not? Why can't they vote? I think it's because they're prisoners.
0: Can can American U.S. prisoners
1: vote? Ah, uh, oh boy. Maybe we well, shouldn't be hosting a podcast about the news. Well, no, because seventy percent of like America.
0: This is a first of all. Before someone corrects me, this is a wrong statement. I'm about to say seventy percent of Americans are in prison. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, so it's so it's
1: so um, this is I mean, this is part of the big uh, movement or or controversy around the disproportionate imprisonment of men of color because many states disenfranchise felons.
0: That's what I'm saying. So, like, a a percentage of people that wouldn't vote, like, would or would not vote for a certain person um, are in prison and can't.
1: Yes. We're speaking as if we're just discovering this, but this is a very well discussed, uh well trod. Now I'm gonna tell you about a show called
0: Orange is the new black. <laughs> now
1: hold on just one minute. So girls uh, in prison. And then uh the only other thing that's jumping out at me is there is a big snowstorm. No. There that's... was a huge yeah, the twenty the
0: twenty eleven snowstorm. Yeah, whatever. There was a really big, scary snowstorm in 2011. I vaguely remember it. I more remember the 2014 snowstorm, because that affected my life. North um,
1: Korea reports that it will not conduct further talks with South Korea, citing a perceived lack of seriousness on South Korea's part. And seven years later, we oh. could just copy-paste that headline and... Uh, you put that in every in day place. since then. Yeah. <laughs> Sad face. Sad face. Yeah, I think that's the news, Magellan. That is the news. That's fit to speak.
0: We're gonna cut to the. Well, I'm gonna keep that silence also, and then we're gonna cut Thank to the news bag. And Magellan, I think we're gonna be right back. And you know what we're gonna do after that, Magellan? What are you gonna do? We're gonna discuss the next episode of the newsroom. Bullies. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the news bag, where I, Alan, read and discuss your feedback regarding our television show, podcast, the chat room. That was hard to say. It's the feedback segment. How you doing? I'm doing well. We got an email from our buddy, Dan. He says, okay, I'm in. (laughs) Which really feels like we got him in like a blood pack situation. He says, I find that while I don't think this is a good show, it's still a compelling show. It fits with your discussion format so well because it's the nature of the show to create beautiful grist for the mill. My general feeling as I watch this show has been, I think I see why people like this, but I also see why those people are wrong. Which is a really good point. I Every time I read about this show, I find pockets of the internet that say, like, this was the best. This show was canceled so soon. This was amazing. This was better than the West Wing. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't... What, what show were you watching? Dan says... I, that was me, by the way. Uh, Dan says, I roped my wife into watching the show with me because I found that the true joy of it comes from the ability to look over at the other person watching with a complete look of disbelief, only to have the other person... meet your gaze with the same disbelief. My wife had described it as watching a solid hour drama intercut with a scene after scene of angsty teenage uh, crap lifted straight from the CW. The Maggie Donna Jim stuff is virtually unwatchable. They're all just thoroughly awful people who I don't care about. Yes, poor Clueless Maggie and White Knight Jim are awful people too, and we should hate them more because the show tries to present them as decent. At least Dawn isn't saddled with that same ridiculous pretense. That's a very good point, that's what Majel was saying. Uh, I find myself wondering why I should care about some side story about awful people mistreating each other in petty, pointless ways. Here's a bit of personal trivia I discovered. I really dislike the name Sloan Sabbath. It's too cartoony and fake to be taken seriously. Yeah, Sloan Sabbath feels like a comic book name or something. I know you compare it to McLovin in here. Uh, regarding Amen, when they had the Rudy reference, I started saying fa and at the end when they started giving little checks to mimic the Jersey scene. I was able to conclude finally with ugh. What an odd, ill-fitting parallel. The irony, which I can only assume to be completely missed by Sorkin, is that it was a scene completely made up in the Rudy movie and didn't happen in real life. Yeah, that's that's like the textbook version of the we added this to the movie because no one does this in real life. Um, His big takeaway from bullies was that the show hasn't figured out what its format is yet and that certainly wasn't a revelation that Will is a bully. In general, the show often has frustrating moments where the newscast benefits from hindsight Uh, that the characters wouldn't have had. There are scenes when I just throw my hands up in the air and say, are these characters reading the script ahead of time? And it's weird when they complete a broadcast and go on a big moral victory lap from the presumed victory of covering the correct news and getting the facts right about a story when everyone else preemptively got it wrong. The show might actually have major impact had it been based on a real news program at the time that was preternaturally accurate and was doing the morally superior job of reporting news that mattered. Instead, it feels a bit like Sorkin is taking a victory lap himself for representing what he thinks the news should actually be. And finally, he concludes with a part two saying, a good thing that I want to say about this episode, amen, is that, mercifully, it didn't cover the awful Lara Logan stuff that happened during her reporting from Tahrir Square. Thank you, Dan. That was a really rewarding email to read. <laughs> that was really good. Um, you hit on a lot of good points. You read did a lot of stuff that we said in our show. Um, and, yeah, I think, I mean this is like what the news bag is just going to be is people very um confirming to us that yes the show is terrible and then me confirming it back to them it's bad it's just there's something good in there like i think we can all agree that they're like we watch the scenes where the news happen and people are yelling at each other's ears and stuff is getting thrown onto the graphic screen last second there's just something cool about that like i want to watch and as Dan says, like, how cool would it be if there was a real news studio that was like this, where they kept getting things right, and they were shooting for complete accuracy and getting ahead of things. Like, what if that existed? What would that be like? And this show doesn't pause at that. It more just feels like Sorkin feeling good about himself. Which, as a, like, white man in Hollywood, he doesn't really need. He's kind of got it going for him. And that's, I think, one of the things that's super frustrating about the show. Um, but, I mean, we're going to keep watching it. We have a lot of show to go. We're actually getting towards the end of Season 1, though, but, you know, the, the show must go on. The news must go on. And uh, I'm going to go take it back to Alan and Magellan
1: as they wrap up their discussion of bullies. Welcome back to the Chats Room. The second episode we watched this week was Season 1, Episode 6, Bullies, written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Jeremy Padeswa. It aired on July 29, 2012, and it takes place... On and around March 11th, 2011. Hi, Alan. Hey, how's it going? You're still here. Welcome back. And me welcome back, too. Uh, What happened in Bullies? Well, Magellan, Will has
0: insomnia. While visiting his psychiatrist, Dr. Habib, the younger, he recounts the reasons for his recent stress. After Will convinced Sloan to push for the truth in an interview with a Japanese spokesperson for the Fukushima reactor corporation TEPCO, Sloan goes too far and quotes off-the-record information about the escalation of the reactor failure. She's almost suspended for ethical reasons, but Charlie saves the day by telling her to lie about mishearing the difference between the Japanese words for two different numbers. Will is also racked with guilt over an aggressive interview that he had with a spokesperson for Rick Santorum that backfires. And finally, Maggie and Jim are told by Mackenzie to dig up some dirt on Will after he's almost accused of sexual harassment. All this leads to is Will buying a ring to make Mac think he always meant to propose to her. Dr. Habib allows Will to go with the sleep aid he requested, provided he starts actively concerning himself with his mental health. Whew, Spicy. I, I'm i going to go ahead and jump the gun here and say that I liked most of this episode. Hey, me too. Well, Grey Minds think alike, Majon, Let's talk about it. First of Probably all, before... before... Best, best one
1: so far, I think. Is that I th- fair to say?
0: I do think that's fair to say. Yeah, this is, like, surprisingly good. We usually um just land on the trend of the second episode we discuss every week being like lesser for some reason that happens a lot with mm-hmm. us uh but not so this time um before I think it's
1: easy to get exhausted watching two of these episodes in a row too
0: yeah definitely you're you're less likely to be like gravitate towards something in that second one because you just watched one yeah yeah uh i just before i forget i uh, sorry to keep bringing it up but like this was directed by Jeremy Podeswa, who also directed some episodes of Game of Thrones. I knew I had heard that name somewhere. Oh, okay. so HBO shares their directors, I guess. And then another recent episode was, I think, Corin, or directed by Gideon Hago, um, who this is from last week, was like a very famous MTV VJ back in the like early 2000s okay i read that name and i was like where do i know that name and i typed it into google and all i got was famous mtv vj and later writer gideon Diego. and i was like whoa <laughs> huh. or he not, not not necessarily a vj but like the guy who did like mtv news Like he was like a name that he definitely huh. came on uh at like nine o'clock on mtv and was like hi i'm gideon Diego talking about beyonce's new music video that's cool so they brought on a lot of weird talent and that's also a really interesting career trajectory but that's neither here nor there
1: yeah. bullies bullies
0: is a great episode it goes a lot of places it doesn't land well with all of them but it's not saccharine the way the rudy stuff is in the previous episode and i didn't find myself actively hating any significant chunks of it
1: Mm -hmm.
0: where do we want to start do we want to start with the framing device of dr habib's visit
1: yeah let's do that so will is having trouble sleeping it's revealed through a conversation with mac that he has a standing uh appointment with a psychiatrist because he finds it, uh, I guess easier to get medication prescribed through a psychiatrist and he doesn't like going to his own doctor, but he hasn't been to a psychiatrist in I think four years at this point, at least the episode, is that right? Something like that. Um, so he goes to his psychiatrist's office and, uh, we, it's eventually revealed to us part of this so will kind of spins the yarn of all of the things that are causing him stress one of the biggest ones is that recently he's received a death threat uh, through the comment section of the of the station's website so that's part of what's going on here he's there with his bodyguard at dr. Habib's office who we find out is the son of his former psychiatrist who has died in the time in which will was not going to see a psychiatrist which that was a nice, that was a nice narrative moment, I think. Um, and a good
0: re- a good reminder, by the way, that Will is like very
1: rich. Is very that... rich and like callous. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and, and the fact that he's been paying for visits to a psychiatrist to say that he's doing it, but not going to them, and that he has a financial guy that does that, and that he goes, he has the privilege to go to a psychiatrist instead of a doctor because, basically, the way that that line worked out was. You know, if you want to go to your primary care to get medication, it, co- it takes a lot of time. Like, scheduling a doctor's appointment takes fucking forever. Right. Psychiatrists want you to go to their appointments because they can charge you over $100, and you just go, and that's the point. Whereas with doctors, it's like, oh, I got to give you 30 minutes of checkups, and maybe blah, blah, blah. Point is, he's right. It is easier to get that if you have the privilege to do that. And true. And he acknowledges true. how much economic privilege he has, and he's like, yeah, I was giving money to you for years before I realized that you're not your dad. Whoops. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> And his uh, the younger Dr. B he was played by uh, David Crumholtz. That that guy that you know from like everything.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's in Elf. That was the first place I encountered him. Yep. Says so the kind of curmudgeonly older elf. He was in Not How I Met Your older, Mother. Old. Yeah, he had a brief moment on Freaks and Geeks, which we talked about when we talked about that show. Oh
0: yeah! Oh yeah. yeah!
1: Oh yeah! Generally, I, I like David Crumholtz. Um, I think he's a pretty charismatic guy. He's also on Numbers, right?
0: Yeah, he's like the side guy in Numbers. You're right.
1: Yeah, I liked that show when I was younger. I like Drop.
0: Summer. I like Drop Seven. That's a really obscure reference. Basically, real quickly, Drop Seven was an iPhone game that they made as part of a Numbers promotion, but it actually turned out to be a good iPhone game, and then Numbers got canceled. Bam! A little video game <laughs> history for your ass. Nice.
1: Um, so I, like, I tend to like David Crumholtz. I didn't love his characterization at first here because it seemed like the only direction he was getting was, hey, could you kind of scrunch your lips up a little bit more <laughs> and give us that line again?
0: Why do you feel like that? Why are you being an I, asshole?
1: <laughs> I, it was hard for me to tell how he felt about Will. I think by the end of the episode, I sort of realized that he had kind of made it a personal mission to break down Will's barriers. But at first, he seemed annoyed by him, like annoyed that he was there. So, he clearly doesn't like it's hard to to pin him down. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I think it's more that he's going for, like, you see him at the beginning trying to approach Will the way you would approach any other patient and like ask them realistic questions about their motivations. And then when he realizes that Will is an act like the type of asshole who doesn't budge when you ask him basic stuff because he's self centered, Uh, you have to kind of get a little rough with him and so that's why he's like why are you fucking me over like why are you lying to me and telling him yeah. nothing and then that that's sort cool. of the development of their yeah.
1: relationship does he is he more of a character because I'd love to see more of it
0: he um, appears in two in the the two part finale in the blackout tragedy parts one and two
1: okay interesting all right I don't know if it's important but he comes back that, that time gotcha well then I guess we'll uh, hear more from him a little bit later Anyway, so I, I ended up liking the character. Kind of a bummer that he's not gonna be more of a regular, maybe every once in a while kind of guy. That's okay. Um, yeah. So he essentially tricks Will into spilling his guts, and then at the end, it's revealed like, oh, you. The reason you're not sleeping is because of the bacon that you're eating on <laughs> your t- toast. And your toast. Toast. Scrambled eggs, bacon, and melted cheese on toast. People, I feel like I, I we don't get
0: that much feedback about the what we say sometimes. Because people want to talk about the show. But, like, are we crazy for how much we talk
1: about Will McAvoy's accent? <laughs> I don't think so. No. I don't think
0: so. I mean, Coke is The way he just says Coke is hilarious. Coke, the way he says toast Coke. is funnier. And he says it, it so fast.
1: It, it was a big surprise to us. Listen, this was the biggest moment of the episode for us, folks. Um, big, big surprise that he says the word toast that way. Toast.
0: I I remarked that it feels like he said the rest of the words and then like bit his lip on that one. We'll play a clip of it right here. Toast. So tell me that well, that doesn't I've, sound
1: I I've, I've been I've been playing clips of it over Oh, this we we
0: live in the clips invented, of it. Invented, We're playing clips invented, behind invented, this invented, topic. Invented invented, pretty, yeah. invented invented invented
1: invented invented, invented a new sandwich, scrambled eggs, bacon and melted cheese on toast.
0: <laughs> so he loves his toast. He eats a lot. He invented the 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 like McDonald's sam- breakfast sandwich. Yeah. Which is just eggs and bacon on bread. Good boy, he did it. That's a bad diet. That's really what's happening. Like really, literally. Tell me what happens in the present of this episode. Will goes to a psychiatrist who tells him he's eating a bad. He has a bad diet. Done. Did it. (laughs) Yeah. Go home, bud. Have a great episode. But it unravels via that framing device in a way that I actually really like. I do mostly dislike a lot of the newsroom, but I think its framing device episodes are really cool. I mean, the only last one think, we had. I think
1: Aaron Sorkin does a very capable job of nonlinear storytelling. Um, he takes. We saw this with the the Tea Party episode too, um, where he takes a setup that I think other writers would have a hard time making. Other writers would have a hard time making that sort of setup make sense, but Aaron Sorkin seems to do that in a way that it feels pretty natural. Right. It it,
0: it doesn't feel like uh they have to like do a visual transition to show that we're going back and forth or anything it's just like
1: yeah you just kind of get what's going on yeah
0: it integrates really well um even like when they cut back and forth to something that he just said in the past and they replay it again in the present like i can't remember the specific moment but it's something when he's yelling at the guy at the end of the episode and they play a line from him more than or no no no, it's when he he doesn't know how to end the episode and he's like I- i'm milwaka boy uh, i mean Like, they cut back Mm -hmm. to that one multiple times, and you know where in the timeline it fits because it's edited well. Yeah. Anyways, Will is receiving death threats from comments on their website, and Neil, the internet nerd, has to try and make... (laughs) He has this whole spiel. Will has this whole thing of, like, we need to take away anonymity on the internet. I'm going to fix the internet. This is terrible. Why can't you have your name, your age, your location, and your level of education on every
1: post you make? Yeah, it's some real real old man yelling. Uh stuff going on there
0: extremely old man yelling like there are re- okay yes anonymity has ruined a lot of internet comments however anonymity also just allows people to be the horrible people that they are in real life but without with fewer consequences like it doesn't make people bad that they are they're anonymous and also a lot of people are able to use anonymity and like usernames and handles on the internet to protect themselves right like it's not all bad uh that's right. what i'm saying but uh, he wants to just shut all that down. And Neil tries to make a system to make everybody list their, their information. Somebody immediately breaks it within, like, two days. In they have that stupid, like, the way that they always describe hacking in movies, which is, normally something like this would take about 56 days from a genius. How long did he do it? Two days. <gasps> and then <laughs> Mac's like, Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah, that's hacking. Great work. Yeah. Um, so Will's worried about his life he's got, yeah, a death threat so that he got a,
1: address. He got a death threat related to Why did he get the death threat again after the interview? Yeah, after the interview. Okay. All of that what stuff was, was the whole What up. was the whole thing that they were doing about like that guy? Oh, he's a te- he has students. Oh, this It's something about students. Like they kept talking about students as if there was a connection.
0: Well, I think um, Will is getting the slow like the guy's asking him like which which basically the frame is which event that happened recently is like messing with your head and making it hard to sleep and at first yeah. he's like oh it's the Sloan thing and then at the end he's like she was a teacher she teaches and he's like you said he or he says he's a teacher he teaches and the uh, psychiatrist is like All right, why did you use the he pronoun he's like because uh, I'm sleepy and, he, and then the guy's like no are, actually I'm pretty sure you're more stressed about the guy who is a teacher that you yelled at on air so, I think oh, the implication okay. is that the first thing didn't actually bother him that much. It's more the second thing. I see. Or it's a combination of both.
1: That was not clear to me. Yeah,
0: but what he's saying is the guy who he talks about that is the Rick Santorum person is also a teacher and has students, and it's like unfair that those people have to look down to him. It's kind of confusing.
1: Right. Okay. All right. Anyway, so he gets this death threat. He needs to have a bodyguard. It's Terry Cruz. That's pretty cool.
0: What's the guy's name?
1: Lonnie? Uh, Yeah, I don't remember. Hold on, I wrote it down. Basically, it's a pretty fun character for Terry Crews to be playing until the moment where he's like, hey, Mac, when are you and I going to get busy? The and fucking like, worst! Then it's like, okay, okay. Yucky. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Lonnie Church. Amazing name. Terribly written black man. When am I going to fuck the white lady? Like, What are you it's like a five second line but it's super bad yeah and then she's like and she takes it so seriously she's like i can't i have plans or something like she said yeah. it like
1: like she considered it <laughs> oh, everything about it's, it is bad yeah it's just not great aaron anyway let's set let's set that stuff aside yeah i think i don't really want to talk about will mcavoy anymore no I me mean, neither. either ever let's shut the show down all right cool <laughs> great bye-bye bloop <laughs> That's it, folks. Uh, I will say I really appreciated that he brought up William Jennings Bryan when he was talking about populists, because uh, I just taught a lesson that included William Jennings Bryan, one of my favorite figures in American history. Really, Give me really the 10-second guy. pitch. So William Jennings Bryan, he's a populist figure for farmers. He gives this amazing speech that says that uh, basically capitalists in the North will not crucify farmers on a cross of gold. Oh man, a great! Great image, right? So yeah. he's this, this really rallying figure for the common man. He loses his election, not so great. Uh, and then later in life, he gets a little older. And hey, you remember the Scopes Monkey Trial?
0: Is that the one where the guy the dies, whole... gets assassinated, and in? And... No, he gets like his legs beaten up, and he can't talk anymore. <laughs> What's what? the thing I'm thinking of? You've recently <laughs> explained it to me. <laughs> what? It's the American history thing where the people were like, "No, that they should have slay I'm so sorry, people at home. Where they're like they should have slaves, and then he gets beaten up in like in the Senate, and they're like, "Whoa, that's crazy!" Oh,
1: oh, oh, the caning of Charles Sumner. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So William Jennings Bryan is a populist. He gives this rallying cross of gold thing, and then later it turns out Scopes Monkey Trial, which is all about um, teaching evolution and the conflict between teaching evolution versus teaching. Um, Uh, what do you call that, creationism? Yep. Um, And it's like, oh, whoops, he's actually a really, really staunch creationist, and he's kind of going wackadoo in the middle of this court case. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, really fascinating guy. Canning of Charles Sumner. Charles Sumner is a northern abolitionist who's giving a a speech, a scathing speech in the Senate uh, in the 1850s, where he basically says that slavery is... is a a prostitute, and the South is her pimp, and all this stuff, bad, bad, bad slavery stuff. And these guys are slavers, and they're bad, and these guys, and these guys. And so then Preston Brooks, representative from South Carolina, takes it very personally and decides that he needs to reexert his honor and the honor of his family and his state by just going into the Senate chamber with his cane and just beating Charles Sumner uh, until he has to be hospitalized for months. And nobody really does anything about it because Preston Brooks' friends have guns there in the (laughs) middle of the Senate chamber, the middle of the Senate chamber, holding it up to other people, holding them up to other people. And uh, it's nuts. And then a civil war happens. So there you go. Wow. History History time. Anyway, so Will brings up William Jennings Bryan. Thank you, sir. Very much. Keep it alive. (laughs) Keep fighting (laughs) the good fight. Keep fighting the good fight. Now, goodbye. Um... Let's just – Jim and Maggie, so they're on this sort of weird task where Mac asks them to look into uh, accusations of Will being a uh, – It was, was it sexual harassment or it's just verbal harassment? Like uh, is it about him bullying and berating people? Is that what it was?
0: The way I remember it was there was the, somebody under Maggie's name reported that Will berated her publicly – for doing something wrong and yeah. filed it under sexual harassment. They haven't it hasn't been formally taken through to the like the HR yet. So mm-hmm. Mac is trying to stop it before it gets there and becomes an issue. So this is basically a pre-issue.
1: Right, uh, they don't they don't want it to become another story. Exactly. So she's basically
0: saying, "Guys, dig up everything that they could find and and, and like tell me if there's any dirt that I should know, but also if you find anything about me in there, you know, maybe pass your girl a couple of those slips. You know.
1: So they're doing this opposition research on Will, and they essentially find out that he's amazing and is uh, the, he hasn't had any problems. He's something. like the most
0: interesting man in the world. He's traveled a lot and um, like is a conservative. I like that joke about like, oh, he also wrote for like the, one of the George Bushes, and they're like, wait, he's a Republican? And she's like, yeah, he's a rep. What the fuck? <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, guys. Yeah. I guess we never thought about it, which is just the viewership
0: of the show. <laughs>
1: anyway, so that that all amounts to a hill of beans, pretty much, right? Pretty much, there's, yeah. There's really no point to it, except, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Should I talk about the Don's conversation with Sloan now, or should we wait for the Sloan plot?
0: Let's wait for the Sloan plot. Ba- yeah. What I remember from the Mackenzie stuff is that she finds out, That he got an offer from Fox to be on a talk show in L.A. And he was going to take it like he almost took it. And she freaks out. She goes to confront him about it. It turns out he bought her a ring and was totally planning to propose to her and not go to L.A. And that he was it was a fake offer and that he loves her. And then she's placated. But Dr. Habib is like, no,
1: fake ring.
0: Yes. Dr. Habib is like, what? You're you're actually fucked up for buying a, a fake ring. To do this whole super plot.
1: Super fucked up. Super manipulative.
0: Super Holy lying shit. to your partner. You're like like yeah, she cheated on him, but like ultimately history will determine that like Will was the shitty guy. The shitty person in that relationship.
1: Or at least that they're you know, it's not one of them that is to it's blame. It's not one sided, yeah. Cause That's true. That, but then but then it's like, oh, but it's redeeming because he kept the ring and got rid of the receipt. So okay we'll okay. come back to that i'm sure That's yeah Chekhov's ring right there
0: yes uh is there anything else left to, is there anything else left to talk about except the good good sloan plot
1: i think it's pretty much a good good sloan plot yeah it's Which good is, good it's really i liked it a lot i like don in this plot for once i always liked don and i also <laughs> liked don here
0: i have grown to love sloan i i know that she's written terribly a lot and olivia munn's not the best actress in the universe and she isn't, I'm just immediately reneging on my point I just said. I like Sloan. I like the idea that there's this character. She's like the one woman who cares about her respect, like self-respect. Uh. And like, I, resp- I I like that a lot about her. Um, because she is basically tasked with replacing Elliot for late night because his child has like getting a tonsillectomy. Uh, and so she's like, I, I'm, I guess I'll do it. And right before that, Will is like, hey, Olivia Munn, hey, Sloan, don't go soft on them. Don't let don't let the people that you interview just like say stupid stuff and then let them go. Mm-hmm. You should challenge them and be a good news person. And she's like, all right. All right, older man. Yep. Gets on the show.
1: Basically, basically <laughs> yeah. the conflict is that Sloan had a... First of all, Sloan speaks Japanese, and Olivia Munn actually speaks Japanese because she was raised in Japan. Rock and roll. Her life. which Yeah, rock and roll is pretty awesome. Um, she has a pre-interview with a rep for the corporation that is involved in the Fukushima nuclear disaster, uh, where she essentially gathers the information off the record that the reactor's at a level seven instead of a level four. And she tries to get that information on air. She tries to push for it, but she can't get it because the interpreter, um, is translating things differently than what she's saying first of all, super cool idea um, for this sort of tense scene where she's pushing and pushing and saying, that's not what I said, or you're misinterpreting me. Um, and then she goes into speaking Japanese. I don't know why Charlie and Don were so upset about that, because if that happened on national television, that would be the most viral <laughs> It'd
0: moment. be sick as hell,
1: actually. That would be so, so cool. Like, you know, imagine Anderson Cooper is is interviewing somebody from you know germany or something and then he just drops into some german in the middle of the interview that'd be sick that'd be awesome i
0: mean frustratingly the reason that they're bothered by it is because a lot of like ratings culture and like what makes the news popular in their minds and in the corporate mind is like somebody needs to be able to tune into this and immediately know what's going on and you can't go off topic and you can't like freak out or flip a table and you need to like keep it in an understandable, like modern, plain English way. And then literally flipping to Japanese, like imagine like 70 year old woman turns on the TV and it's like, what the hell is this? And then they don't watch. Right. It's that's it's true. bad for ratings to have people suddenly speaking a different language ex- in an extended conversation. Like that's just confusing to the viewer, I guess. But I agree. Yeah. Like if I got to see a clip of this, I'd be like, whoa, like I'm
1: turning to this. I'm checking this out. What's going on? Yeah. So really intense scene. Uh, huge moral conundrum for Sloane. She's shown as a character who has competencies uh, when it comes to economics, when it comes to knowing the Japanese language and the Japanese culture. And then she gets herself into a bad situation because she gives into um, you know, self-seriousness or hubris or, or something like that. It's just the kind of arc in this Sloan plot that you want to see from this show because it, yeah. it shows what she's good at. And then it shows her coming up against a challenge that we haven't seen before. And then it gets resolved. It's, and that's nice. I like that. I like that rhythm. And I like thinking about the ethical problems that are at hand here.
0: Right. Like you said, in the first half, when people do the news and it, it's about them doing the news, the show rules, everything I, else sucks. I
1: really, really wish <laughs> This is what I realized in this episode. I would like this episode or this show so much more if it was exactly the same, except that it was not framed as people doing the news right. It was just framed as people doing the news. If it was just a show about this is a news station that's trying to do their best, but it's not about like we are going to reform the news, it would be a much, much better show.
0: So would you prefer a like documentary where you get to spend a day or a week in a newsroom or do you want a dramatization that is just about them doing the news without the dra- relations drama, but it is dramatized. You know what I'm saying? Like it is still this stuff, the big, the big stories.
1: I think the Sloan plot more or less is what I am yeah, looking okay. for. Yeah. Which I is a dramatized you. story about doing the news yeah. where it, it's a morality play about a certain ethical problem that comes up with newsmaking or news doing, um, And it's not necessarily bogged down in sitcom bullshit. And it's not necessarily bogged down in vapid idealism. It's just about here's the problem that the character has to try to navigate and we're going to explore this problem together right now this
0: is a big reason why I was really excited to do this podcast with you is because we get to talk about the stuff that in the, in the show they don't delve into, but it's so fascinating. So like, for example, I would love for them to have gone more in depth on the ethics of what it means to be off the record. Right. Not just say like, Oh, even though it was off the record, she can't like, it doesn't. And this is complicated enough that I cannot tell the listeners or you enough about it confidently. But I think, Off the record is supposed to mean this cannot be broadcast, but I can tell this to my people in my work. This is confidential within the work environment. I can't go online and tell you people about this, but that is the boundary. It's not like she tells the other people to leave the room, but then she immediately tells Will and Mac the off the record information. So it's like, where, where was the boundary supposed to be?
1: Well, I think she partially had them leave the room to make him feel more comfortable. And also partially, maybe they were taking note of things. Um, cause she wasn't taking, she was speaking, but they were the ones taking note on the conversation. Oh, so it's more about um, like
0: what you wrote down.
1: Yeah. Because the idea is if you're going to present something as fact, then you need proof that it's factual. So that proof either has to be in our interview beforehand in our notes, it says this, or it has to be what they're actually saying right in the moment. And she didn't have either of those things, which was the problem.
0: And it leads to her making a, unfortunately making a fool, a, 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 making a really accidental terrible situation worse, um, by telling them that hey guys it's what he's saying what the guy's actually saying and what he told me off the record is that this nuclear reactor is like deadly and it's gonna kill a ton of people run for the hills, right? And I just yelled at him in Japanese, and then she hang- she closes it. Don freaks the hell out. Charlie freaks the hell out. She's suspended. She gets mad. She talks back to Charlie, which is, like, my favorite scene of the episode. Uh-huh. Just the, like, two loudest voices. Because Sloan up until that point, has never been that loud. Like, literally, last episode, or the New Year's Eve episode, she's like, I don't know how to talk to people. And now she's like, don't call me girl. And yeah, it's like, finally, scary. there's a woman on the show who stands up for herself and isn't terrible. Like, wow. <laughs> for, like, five <laughs> seconds, I was so happy.
1: Aaron, you did it.
0: Except, wait, er, what saves her at the end of
1: the day is Charlie's brilliant plan. Oh, my God. Listen, so the Sloan plot is so fun, interesting, intense. And then at the end, there are a few moments that totally just just leak the air out of it. Um, the first is she's having a conversation with Don about like the information's real, whatever, whatever, whatever. This is what he said. And then Don in the middle of it is like, is, does Ma, is Maggie in love with Jim?" <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, I don't know. What do you? <laughs> I'm gonna get not, fired. This is not my plot line. <laughs> but it's not only know. that. But like,
0: okay, is, is Maggie in love with Jim? I is Maggie in love know. with Jim? Be honest. I don't tell me. No, it's it's not only that, but the fact that. You know, first of all, Charlie comes up to her and says, hey, you should lie and say that you misunderstood the difference between four and seven because they're only one syllable apart in Japanese. And she's like, but I, but I, but I'm don't, I don't misunderstand that. I'm very fluent. Yeah, I speak
1: fluent Japanese. Don't, yeah, don't. And then
0: they keep, they keep relaying to her in sort of a kind of clever sorkin way where they're like, no, you don't understand Japanese. Mm -hmm. And it takes her like six or seven tries to be like, oh, wait, no, no, no. I do, but I have to say I don't. But that means that I have to lie on air about being prove myself to be incompetent when I'm actually not. And then she turns to Will and is like, Mr. Man, what do I do? And he's like, say
1: you're a liar. She's like, okay. And then she does it. The, the nuts thing about the interaction is she turns to Will and she literally says, help me. I need wisdom. <laughs> and Mackenzie's there. And she says, I have wisdom. And Sloan says, no, Mac, you don't.
0: Oh no, she says your wisdom usually leads to and like makes explosion yeah, noises.
1: Right. That's literally the interaction that happens here.
0: That's real. We didn't make that up.
1: That's nuts.
0: It undoes everything.
1: Totally, totally unravels the legitimacy of this plot. Not entirely. There's still so much of it that I appreciated um and that I want to see happen going forward. I'm now pretty invested in Sloan as a character. Um early on I was didn't expect that to happen yeah but it's like
0: really okay i think the the only way that somebody could defend that plot is to say that this entire episode is actually about will but like why that doesn't work that's not no no i'm not gonna allow it this
1: whole show's about will
0: yeah well then why are we watching it if i don't like will then what everything else about it is good Mm. it's like a show that tries to be about something but everything all the side characters are better
1: Basically, yeah, so, th- so then Sloane, we don't know what happens. I guess she does that. I think
0: that's, that's the implication. It. And then Dr. Yeah. Habib is like, anyways, anyways, you talked about a teacher. Who are you actually talking about? What's the other story that they mentioned in those mean, mean comments? And he's like, well, and this is all, again, carried out in like one five minute scene. Um, They have a guy who's uh basically a spokesperson for Rick St. Torum. Remember that name? Wow. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, It's like when I heard Michelle Bachman. And I was like, oh. <gasps> Something like clicked in my brain about how mad I was at, or how good Tina Fey's impression was. <laughs> um, this guy is a spokesperson, but he's also a gay black man, which Aaron Sorkin, like, I can just picture this fucking dude, like, like, templing his fingers, like, so proud that he got a character like this on a show. And he's like, ha ha, ha yes, the liberal dream, the gay black man. <laughs> and he just, again, he becomes the Rich Coke brothers petting a cat. Uh, And really all my villains are Giovanni for Pokemon or (laughs) Dr. Claw. Um, He's so happy to have this guy on here. And then Will basically gets to tell this guy, uh, gets to (laughs) white-splain Rick Santorum to this man and be like, Hey, the guy you work for hates you. He wants you to not exist. He thinks you're less than human, less than man. And that's unconstitutional. Doesn't that make him a bad candidate? And the guy's like, what? Step the fuck back. Like, what are you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love I love that this is the first time an interviewer cuz this this show we like have even skipped scenes where they talk about this. Ha, does the thing Sorkin always does, which is dunking on conservatives? Yeah. Um this is the first time where they kind of like really hard dunk back on this show. I really liked it.
1: The guy's I really, like I really liked this scene.
0: Basically the guy takes it for a while and there were rumors that he had cried during it. Like when we see later in the in the future people are like Doc- you made that guy cry. So you're expecting that to happen, but no. The guy tells him to stop talking, and then every time Will tries to talk, he cuts him off and says, "I will tell you yeah. when I'm finished speaking."
1: Yeah, that was that was really really incredible. Oh,
0: Damon Gupton, the actor who plays that guy, incredible work. Um, and it
1: it's such. First of all, it's nice to see Will being an asshole, and the show totally recognizing that that's what's going on. Yeah, recognizing that. He's in the right, at least in my ideological opinion, to be pressing this guy. At first, I was on board with him asking these questions of, you know, why do you support a candidate who believes X, Y, Z? So ideologically, I'm on his side. But then you can see how this quest for truth and for being uncompromising can kind of break down the civility of the news, which is an important part of doing the news right quote unquote um is having like respect and and uh decorum being a part of what you're doing so it uh, uh, yeah i don't know it was just it was complex it was nuanced it made me think and realize that my perspective was limited on this character um when he says i am not defined by my blackness i'm not defined by my gayness um yeah That's that's the line, right? I really had to step back and say, yeah, you know, I had been approaching this character from that perspective. Um, And maybe it's because he was set up as this kind of straw man at the very beginning of, hey, it's a gay black man. Um, But it it really made me self-assess, you know, what are the moments in my life where I'm defining another person by one specific attribute? What are the moments when I'm teaching... um, in a charter school in East Harlem uh, and limiting my students to their color when I'm thinking about what information is valuable for them to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's something that I I appreciated that the show went there because I didn't think the show would ever do that with that much fidelity. It's It's actually a really important point
0: that I'm so impressed that they acknowledged, which is that oftentimes a lot of I guess liberal media and just like left leaning media in general is about telling disadvantaged people that they deserve better as opposed to giving them the opportunities to do better. Mm. So instead of will being like letting this guy speak and talk about his platform and explaining why he does in fact support Rick Santorum, despite the fact that a lot of uh, Santorum's policies are like directly against his lifestyle Um, Mm -hmm. Like that guy's allowed to have that point of view and allowed to like live his life and be a person um, and define himself by his Catholicism as opposed to the color of his skin. That's what true equality actually is as opposed to being like you're being oppressed and you don't even realize it, you dummy like that's that's such a relatable thing that I feel like I see in the news all the time and in the world like on social media and stuff is people telling others like you deserve better. You're not being treated right. You should fix it. I'm not going to fix it for you. But you have to do it. You have to acknowledge that that Rick Santorum is terrible, like that's X Y Z. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's really it's really prescient. It's like it hit it struck a chord with me. And I was like, wow, yes. Um, I want to. So that's I mean that's sort of the the peak of that is that Will feels so bad about that that as ultimately the reason why he all of his stuff is the reason why he hasn't been sleeping. Right. Uh, and the episode ends there. But I want to real briefly ask you another question. Okay. Just about Will McAvoy and about the show sure. that we, ha- we haven't really addressed this yet. Um, so Will, most of the, the stuff that makes him on Newsnight successful is his ability to have on people and address them in ways that feels like he's challenging them, but not uh, talking down to them. Sure. And yeah. we, see, we see that power dynamic kind of shift here. Or it's like, oh, no, he's actually kind of talking down to them more than he thinks he is. Do you think there are like media personalities today doing what will mcavoy is doing and doing it well um and where is that like why don't we talk about people the way that it seems like everyone's talking about will mcavoy like celebrity news critique people that are actually i think
1: there are i think there are plenty of tv journalists who are doing that sort of thing um i i don't watch a ton of tv news so it's sort of hard to answer that question but um you know i think people have clips here and there where they're where they're where they're taking that stance and doing that thing um there was a clip from cnn a couple days ago uh shoot what is the guy's name um don lemon
0: yeah is that who i'm thinking of the black guy from cnn yeah yes who
1: who came out and talked about um trump's comment about shitholes yeah, yes. shitable countries. That was yeah. awesome. Yes, that's exactly, yes. So I think, and maybe in our current climate, there's more of uh, an impetus to to speak out and to have that sort of opinion. But I think the newsroom is, is um, I think in some cases it's misdirecting its reformist impulse because I think that there are plenty of people on cable news who have the right idea about what they want to be doing. It's just the structure of cable news that sort of sucks any meaning out of it. Like, I think the people involved might be coming to it with the right head on their shoulders, or at least some are, coming at it with a real journalistic integrity and impulse. Um, But the sheer volume of of TV that they're producing and the structure of having to have this guy from this side and this guy from that side those are the things that bankrupt TV news and its credibility. Um, and I guess, yeah, you could argue that there's some softness about keeping people honest to a certain set of facts. It's it's tough because I I think that nobody's consistently the worst or consistently the best at any of these things.
0: Absolutely, like all of the examples I have, just hitting a couple. I mean, Jake Tapper does a lot of this stuff at CNN. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Anderson Cooper does a lot of this stuff also at CNN. Don Lemon does plenty of this stuff also at CNN. And then yeah, this is a thing that I actually got. We got a comment about this that I was going to include at some point um, from friend of the podcast, Frankie, who mentioned that uh, it's really important to mention to, to, to point out at some point that a lot, a lot of the lines and the plot lines that they give to Will McElwain in this show are like yeah. almost directly lifted from things that Rachel Maddow said and did at the hmm. same time that this show was taking place uh, hmm. and what it means and how it can be viewed as very problematic that Sorkin chose to take the words of a queer woman and put them in the word in the mouth of a straight white guy. Hmm. Uh, Cause she's, she's kind of doing the stuff that will does or she was a lot at the time. Yeah. Um, in terms of like having people on and being like, no, actually the thing you're saying is fucked up and bad. Why are you saying that? Like let's, let's challenge that in a meaningful way. Yeah. Um, so basically getting at like they this is happening but all the people that i mentioned have also made huge mistakes and said terrible things so mm-hmm. the news is complicated so when i see will like mess up and say these bad things on air i'm like well i don't hate that he messes up i just hate who he is outside of the news i think the stuff the material he's given is actually really good and the i would watch his show like yeah. for sure for sure yeah and maybe someday like watching more of the show will i'll be more inclined to watch the news more regularly or at least like the stuff like the interview stuff um because it's less it's less about what bothers me about the news which is the sort of like fear-mongering uh the world is constantly on fire feeling uh and it's more of like here's something that's on all of our minds let's break it down and talk about it Mm And like that is what i want out of um out of the news oh
1: that was a lot speaking of the news we're going to talk about what happened in the news. So we're looking at March eleventh, two 2011, uh, because that is the day where the earthquake hits that, that sets off um, the tsunami in Japan and sets off the nuclear uh, reactor issues at Fukushima. And there's not a ton else that is on the page here for this day. There's some, something about Mel Gibson... Being charged with battery um, against an ex-girlfriend of his, but now Mel Gibson is in Daddy's Home too. So, really, for some reason, we keep forgiving that guy. Um, look, look, in, look into your heart, America, and try to figure out why you keep giving that guy a pass for being yeah. l- literally one of the shittiest celebrities there is.
0: Come on, Mel Gibson.
1: Yeah, yeah, just a garbage person. Just, yeah, just truly, truly garbage um there is a piece in here about a federal magistrate in the u.s ruling that prosecutors can demand twitter account info wow uh, in relation to wikileaks so okay i care a lot about wikileaks says neil now today we don't have net neutrality anymore so uh things whoops have, things have gotten a little or priorities shifted a little bit internet wise that's a skosh just a skosh. And that's, that's pretty much what I found on the page here. Yeah, some Blackwater
0: stuff. Blackwater was a really big deal. Um, Zimbabwe going through some political changes. And the Libyan Civil War continues. The Arab Spring continues. Yes. yes, and, yes. It can, and it will continue for a while. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much does it, Magellan.
1: Alan, would you like to hear what we are watching next week? I really would. I sincerely would. Okay. Next week, we are watching Season 1, Episodes 7 and 8 Episode 7 is entitled uh, 1-May, so 1st of May. I don't know how to how to verbalize that, but I think that's what it is. 1st of May. An anonymous source contacts Charlie and provides advanced details on an imminent story of national importance. When news breaks that the president will be making a televised speech that night, the 2.0 staff cuts short its anniversary party.
0: Do you remember what happened on 5 1 2011?
1: Uh, I think I looked it up by accident earlier. Oh, okay. So it's not that I remember, but I know what that episode's about. Okay.
0: We're talking Bin Laden, folks. It's going to
1: be exciting. Yeah. And then season one, episode eight is entitled The Blackout Part One Tragedy Porn. So we'll do the first part of the two parter next week, and then we'll finish out the two parter and the entire season the following week. Blackout Part One Tragedy Porn. Newsnight's refusal to lead with a pair of sensational stories causes ratings to plummet, and forces Will and Mac to abandon their principles in order to lure back viewers and shore up the network's bid to land a Republican debate.
0: Oh, uh, I like something about. I like. All right, can we just say it? It's called a blackout because there's a blackout at the office.
1: That's. I'm into it. Unless, yeah, I, unless there's a scene. <laughs> Ooh. where Maggie and Jim are Eek. accidentally stuck in a closet and it's Eek. a blackout and they make out with each other.
0: Okay. <laughs> Did I get it right? Let's just put a pin in that one and we'll talk about
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, I'm
0: boiling inside. I
1: love it.
0: <laughs> Holy moly. I love it. I, your pain makes, brings me joy because and it like leads to both, more joy. They both drop something and then their heads bump together. Or something like that. And then they like a bunch of papers fall and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Smooch. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Majang, yeah, what's up? Let's plug some stuff. Yeah,
1: first, can I just say, sorry, last thing about the newsroom right now. Please. There's so much more talk about tabloids and ratings than I wanted in my news show. <laughs> it's important. Yeah, but literally, I didn't... Eh. Don't give <laughs> a fuck. Don't care. All right, let's talk about plugs. Alan, where can people find the show online?
0: Well, Majon, if you want to email the show... You can go ahead and send those emails over to chatspod at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D at gmail.com. We love receiving your emails. We, we feature them in a segment called the news bag, which takes place between the episodes. You probably just heard it. You can also tweet at us. Tweet at chatspod, C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D over there. I love tweets. I love DMs. I love. Uh, you should just follow us there in general, because that's when you'll find out when episodes go up. Um. And please do us a favor. If you have a chance, rate us on iTunes. Hopefully give us five stars. Um, let people know that you like the show. Cause we love um, hearing about new listeners. We get emails every once in a while being like, I just discovered your show. And it warms my, the cockles of my heart. Yeah. The
1: cockles. The cockles. The cockles. God.
0: John, where can people find you on the internet?
1: They can find me on Twitter at just a fluke. That's J U S T A P F L U K E. They can also find me on another Program coming back this weekend for (gasps) real entitled adulthood which is spelled A D U L T H O O D. I think I, i think i've done that joke before yes um it is a podcast in which every episode i cover 15 seconds of the movie boyhood and i do something related to that and to my life and that's the whole deal my life my life my wife alan where can people find your life
0: you can find my life and my wife over at twitter.com slash Alan Ibrahim. That's spelled A-L-L-E-N-I-B-R-A-H-I-M. And you can listen to me on another podcast. It's called Fireside Friends. It's a monthly pop culture discussion podcast. At the end of January, we're going to be discussing Doki Doki Literature Club. It's a video game. It's a visual novel. And we just recorded the first half of the show, and it's great. Nice. You can find that at firesidefriends.net. Thank you, dear listeners, so much for listening to this episode of The Chats Room. Good night.